Father, with this morning, we thank you, Lord, the sixth day. We are here in your presence. You said where two or three gather in your name, you will be in our midst. You are here, Lord. And we just worship you. We just enjoy your company, Lord. Teach us, Lord, now. For you alone have the words of life. Teach us. Your word gives strength. Your voice brings calmness. It stills the wind and the storm. The rough seas become calm at the sound of your voice. Even in us, Lord. Speak to us. Help us to hear the voice of your spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Teach us your ways. Show us your paths that we may walk in them. Constantly and consistently. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we put that off? That keeps that fan off. I can put the AC on if you feel hot. Um, we've been looking from the book of Judges in the mornings. We've been looking at the book of Judges. The reason is, um, like one of, like I said earlier too, one of the greatest mistakes preachers make, preachers of the Bible make is they discard the Old Testament and uh, they discard the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is from where we learn how to apply scripture, the doctrines of the new covenant, the, the, the story, the history, the real lives. That's why the Bible is a very authentic record of people, both black and white. I'm not talking about races. I'm talking about people in their complete totality is put across. No whitewashing there. With all their frailties, and what's all, everything is there. Bots, boils are also there. Okay. Hezekiah almost died of a boil, so all that is there. So when we look at the book of Judges, we see, we see the history of Israel, we see it being repeated in the lives of God's people in the church. So on, uh, on the first day, we, when we looked at Judges chapter one, we saw Joshua's time is up, a new generation is coming, and they ask, it all begins from asking God, who should go up? So it's, there's not a question about whether we should go to fight, because spiritual battle is not an option. There's no option, okay? There are three options, overcome the flesh or be overcome by the flesh, overcome the world or be overcome by the world, overcome the powers of darkness or be overcome by them. So it's not an option. It's no third way. So they say, who should go up? And the Lord says, let Judah go up. I mean, if he asks the right questions, you will get the right answers. If you don't get answers, it's because we are asking the wrong questions. No, should I go to church? Silence. Okay. A lot of people ask, should I go? No answer. God didn't say anything, so I don't have to go. 
if you ask god when should i go you will probably hear go early not in time for benediction go early right sir go early okay that would mean for little children eat fast so you can reach church early so if you ask the right question you will get the right answer god says go. who should go god said let judah go meaning we work from victory we are not working towards victory we standing on the finished work of christ jesus so he says go in praise and they take simeon along praise and hearing we looked at all that i hope you all heard now we go to the situation where you will see they the they are going downhill you have to possess the whole land when you're fighting for something fight for complete victory or other other than if you don't do that then like after 15 years and spending a couple of trillion dollars you will withdraw from afghanistan what did you achieve nothing nothing the waste of time waste of money of your children the next generation and the of life 2500 3000 i don't know how many killed in those years what did you achieve nothing because if you're going in you're going in to possess but that's not their job so they shouldn't have gone in the first place so what is the whole point god says fight to possess the life of christ jesus i have come to give you life life in abundance but we have to fight for it he has taken the penalty of sin now we have to fight to possess that life but what you see is that we saw that yesterday they're just going downhill they start making compromises and after some time the canaanites are so determined our old life is so determined to hold on to it the flesh is not a weak the flesh cannot be put to sleep it doesn't listen to lullabies you have to take the sword to it that's why you have the term in the old testament when they went to esau they smote them with the sword okay they put to death everything young and old meaning everything in your flesh you have to put to death otherwise the flesh will put you to death so that's where you see them going down now for today's morning's meditation we'll go to judges chapter 2 and we'll read from verse 16 onwards 6 uh, sorry 6 to 15 when joshua had dismissed the people the children of israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land so the people served the lord all the days of joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived joshua who had seen all the great works of the lord which he had done for israel mark that word 7 then now joshua the son of nun the servant of the lord died when he was 110 years old and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath heres in the mountains of ephraim on the north side of mount gash when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers another generation arose after them who did not know the lord nor the work which he had done for israel then the children of israel did evil in the sight of the lord and served the baals and they forsook the lord god of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of egypt they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them they bowed down to them they provoked the lord to anger they forsook the lord and served baal and the astarots and the anger of the lord was hot against israel so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despised them 
and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so they could no longer stand before their enemies whenever they went out. Listen to this. It's not the hand of the enemy. The hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were greatly distressed. Okay? This passage should stun us like how in one generation a nation that was so totally committed to God literally falls apart. Okay, That's because God does not have grandchildren. God has only children. Okay, God only has children. In one generation, a nation falls apart. A nation that was so completely and totally committed to God, a generation later, it fell apart. If you look at verse 7 and verse 10, <clears throat> you will look at the key between two generations. Now the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who had outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And verse 10, the difference. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them. Two things. One, they did not know the Lord. Okay, we've been looking at church about knowing God, not knowing about God. They did not know the Lord. Two, know the work he had done for Israel. Two things were out. One, they did not know God. Two, they did not know the works of God. Okay, one of the greatest dangers the secessionists brought into the church is they took the work of God out and gave us just a book. You see, you take the work of God out that it has ceased. <coughs> The supernatural God becomes natural. God is always supernatural. His work will always continue. Every work of God is a miracle. If it can be achieved by man, then it is not the work of God. It's not, okay. So in the book of Acts, you see the work of man and you see the works of God. The works of God should not cease in our life. Okay, work of God should not cease in our life. When it ceases in life, we lose the testimony of our God. So there is a situation that has come. A generation has risen. And if you look at a generation, generations actually, what happened? They do not know their God. They know about God. But that is hearsay. And you know in a court, hearsay is not accepted as evidence. Hearsay is not accepted. You need to be a first-hand witness. So when the apostles write, they will talk about themselves as witnesses. Witnesses, okay? And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes and you receive the power, you shall be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Of God and of his works. Of his works. We should be a people who have experienced the hand of God, the power of God, the miracles of God. So we know. We know who we are talking about. It's not like hearsay, what people say. If it is hearsay, then all people have to do is one dude comes and writes a book called Da Vinci Code and immediately half the crowd has fallen away. You know why? Because they do not know their God, nor know his works. Okay, Hearsay is not going to take you to heaven. It's not going to take you to heaven. That's why in the New Covenant, the first thing is that repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A person comes in. That's the witness. The person is the witness. Okay, so the key text over there, if you're in the, the first portion we are looking at is that a generation arose who do not know their God. <clears throat> so the question we need to ask is, do I know God? 
second. Am I increasing in the knowledge of him? No. Like little bit, child is here. She knows her parent. Ten years from now, she still knows her parent, but it will be completely different. She probably won't even remember what she knows now because what she knows in the coming years will take that out. And she'll look back and say, oh, that was just baby knowledge. Okay, that is baby knowledge. That is baby talk also. Okay, this is something which we need to understand because you see, even when we study the Old Testament and the New Testament, the problem is <clears throat> the Bible is not a book of rules, though there are rules there. It's not a book of rules. Rules are for children. The Bible is a book of principles. If you don't understand that, when you read the Old Covenant, you don't understand the principles behind that. And the prince, rules change. Rules can be manipulated. Principles cannot be. You cannot navigate and find a way how to escape the principle. Rules you can. All you need is a good lawyer. It's a good lawyer. Okay? I heard about a <clears throat> preacher talk about old days, old days, 60s, 70s, of two college teams um, having a basketball match, two big teams having a basketball match. So one of the coach was smart in the sense, crooked. Okay? He looked at red and studied the entire rule book. So he has to win by hook or crook, we say. Right? He has to win. So what did you do? That day when his team came out, his entire team on their back had exactly the basketball printed, I mean, whatever, onto their vest. And they won. Because the opposite team is so confused because, I don't know how many, seven, how many are there in the basket? Five. So there were six balls always moving in the court. <laughs> okay? And he won. Okay, so the opposite team came and complained, and they said, but he said, he said, is there anything in the rule book which says you cannot have it? They said, no. So, what's your problem? Okay, what's your, is there in the rule book? Okay, but what is what is the principle behind the rules in a game? Play fair, play fair. So the simple question is that if you go by the principle, did you play fair? No, you didn't play fair. Did you break the rules? No. Okay? So we need to understand this is where we go wrong. Because sometimes we can get so old covenantal and says, I did not. It is not written in the old, anywhere in the Bible, thou shalt not smoke. Okay, where it is written? Well, what is the principle? What is the principle? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's the principle. And you ask this question, your question, by smoking, did you keep that principle? Okay, so you have to read the word of God that way. There are rules, there are principles. Principles are connected with a person. He does not change. He does not change. So anything in the Old Testament you read or New Covenant you read, don't read it as a rule book because rules can always be manipulated. Principles cannot because that's how you can look at all the rule books and say, I kept the rule book. And God says, but were you fair? Were you fair? Okay, so <clears throat> here is a generation who did not know God. 
They knew the rule book, but they did not know God. They did not know. They did not know the principles on which the kingdom of God works. Okay, they did not know God. What happens when you do not know God? Or know the work which he had done for Israel? What happens? Verse 11. What happens? Then the children of Israel did evil. Though they do not know God, God knows them. Though God is absent in their lives, they are present in his eyes. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what did they do? They served the Baals, the false gods. Okay, because ultimately that's the way. We will end up serving something. It is impossible for no man unless he dies. As long as he's alive, he's serving something. And they ended up serving the Baals. They became idolaters. And what does verse 12 say? And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Okay. They did not know God. They started serving other gods and they forsook. Two times the word forsook is used in two consecutive verses. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Who do we forsake? We forsake our God who brought us out of the land of bondage or slavery to sin. And what do we do? We follow other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Okay, we provoke God. And we think God doesn't get angry. Okay, but that's a lie to saying that Pastor Vijay is a father. He never gets angry. That means he has no children. Or his children are seraphims. But God got angry with a few angels also. When <laughs> they fell. He didn't say they are seraphims. They fell. It is okay. When he got, he was angry. He kicked them out. Okay. So you need to understand the anger of a father. Okay. And the anger of a principal. These are different angers. Okay. Anger of a father. So what the Bible says, God was angry. They provoked the Lord to anger. It's not that God just randomly gets anger. They provoked God to anger. So what does God do? They forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Yeah, provoked. And let's come to the uh, next verse. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asterites. Now gods are increasing. See, no one, if you don't love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, you will never end up serving one God. It will be multiple. It will be multiple. Okay. Okay. You'll never end up serving one God. You'll end up serving multiple gods. You'll have many idols in your heart, many interests. Okay, they may be in order, but many will be there. Okay, many in order. And what did God do? And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. It was hot against Israel. Okay, it's not just angry. Now the anger temperature is going up. God's also hot against Israel. So what does he do? See, we think for God to deliver us into the hands of the enemy, he pushes us. No, he just takes his hand off our lives. That's all he does. Because the enemy is always after us. He's a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. So it is not that God pushes us into the front. He just opens a cage of protection. He is our shield. He is our buckler. 
He is our protection. He just takes the protection off. You don't want me? Well, I'll stay out of your lives. Okay. Yeah. That's, I heard a pastor say, they legislated prayer out of the schools in America, so the kids could not bring Bibles to school. Instead, they started bringing guns. You take God out, something else they will bring. No. He delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who spoiled them. What does he do? The raiders come. The hands of the raiders. And you look at that. It's what happens. The raiders raid us. They steal from us. The enemy comes to steal. In their case, their harvest, their cattle, their belongings, everything. In our case, you know what happens? We lose our joy, we lose our peace, our mind is full of anxiety and worries. Why the raiders have come in and they're taking it away. Yet God says you shall walk in peace, righteousness, joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. And you know what? The world looks more happier than the church, honestly. If you look at the world, they seem to be more happy than the church. The church should be radiant with joy and peace in spite of all our storms because of who we have and who is with us and who is in us and who is walking with us. And because we know our future, we should be at peace and enjoy like Paul and Silas in the midnight hour in the prison, my favorite text. Yet, the world seems to be happier. You know why? Because the raiders have come and spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. He just gave them over. What did the Bible say? They could no longer stand before their enemies. The flesh became stronger. The world became stronger. The powers of darkness were having a merry day. We could no longer say no to anything. Whatever our pet hobbies, idols are, we had no power to say no. You know why? Because we did not know God. And we did not remember his works. Or we knew God, but we did not continue knowing God. We chose to remain as a baby with rules and not principles. And what happens, verse 15? Whenever they went out, when they went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and the Lord had sworn to them. They were, and they were greatly distressed. See, the promises, most of the promises in the Bible are conditional. God says, if you do this, I will do it. To come out of Egypt, you don't have to do anything. You can't do anything. You just have to repent and believe and get baptized. Okay? Other than that, you don't have to do anything. But after that, you have to do everything. I am there with you. If you want to walk in victory, you will have to keep doing. But if you don't do that, this is what will happen. So we don't have to go there in Deuteronomy 28. You have the blessings pronounced, eight or nine verses. And after that, when you do not know, this is what your enemies will do to you. Basically, God says, I will hand you over, but this is what they will do to you. I know the enemy's nature. He has no mercy. This is what he will do to you and to your children. And this is what happening. You know, people, that's why Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. In chapter 1, 
They have the glories and everything of salvation, Jesus. In chapter 2, we see we are raised up with Jesus and be seated in him, know him. See, you cannot know a person unless you are seated with him or in him. Know him. And after that, 2, 3, 4, 5 is all about how to walk in Christ. Grow in the knowledge of God. How to walk in Christ. Only 6 at the end only says get into spiritual battle. Otherwise, what will happen to you? You will fail. You will fail. You will fail. They went out and the hand of the Lord was not for them, was against them. Though the Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? The hand of the Lord was against them. Spiritual battle is not a joke. It's a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. And they went, here it's a physical picture it's given. They went out and the hand of the Lord was not for victory, was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn, and they were greatly distressed. And God has said that in the new covenant. Don't say this is not there in the new covenant. He has said, what you sow, you will reap. If you sow in the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow in the spirit, okay. And spiritual battle is a spiritual battle. It's not a sowing in the flesh and then fighting in the spirit. God says no. Dying in the flesh and fighting in the spirit. You cannot have both ways. The raiders will come and take over. You will lose your battles. That's what is happening over there. So if you lose the point, if you lose the next generation, we have lost everything. Okay. If we have not been able to pass the faith on to them, the knowledge of God, and they know God, and they remember the works of God, if we are not able to pass it on to them, it does not matter what else we pass on to them. We can give them the best education. We can leave the pots of money. It will be of no avail. God gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, it won't be like the land of of Egypt where you had to use your feet to get water. This is a land where you will have rain in its season. It will be a fruitful land. He gave them everything, but it has no avail. You know why? The fathers conquered the land and gave it to the children. The children lost it all. You know why? Because one thing the fathers could not pass on to the children. What is that? They did not pass on to the children the knowledge of God or the works of God. And this is our biggest challenge we face, passing on to the next generation, the challenge. Because if you don't pass our faith on to them, we have lost them. And every generation is only one generation away from total collapse. Okay? Because everything in the world is fighting, vying for their attention, their minds, their eyes, and their hearts. The problem is, the fathers were probably so busy fighting, building houses, building farms. They were so occupied with life, they forgot one fundamental lesson to pass on the knowledge of God to their children. The next generation. So busy. And the same thing that's happening. People get so busy with life. So busy for life. And most Christian parents have outsourced that knowledge of God to the church. Think about it. Six days of school, eight hours. And then 40 minutes of Sunday school. 
for 50 minutes of Sunday school. How are they going to know God? So what happened? They didn't know God. And we don't know, we know how important it is to know God because one of Jesus' references on that day, Jesus will tell many, I do not know you. Know God. They did not know God. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34. No man shall, no more shall every man teach his neighbor. Every man is brother saying, know the Lord, for they sh- all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin I will remember no more. God is talking about a time, and the time is the new covenant time. No more. So you have to teach about God. We have to teach about God. But we do not have to teach people, know God. Each one will know him. Different levels, but everyone knows him. And a generation perished because they did not know God. Note these points. Okay, You cannot pass something which you do not have. You cannot pass something which you do not have. If you do not have a living and a loving relationship with God, you cannot pass it on to the next generation. See, one thing you cannot do is you cannot hide your faith or your life from your children. Most children know their parents better than the parents know their children. Because in the children there is no guile. So they see the parents as the parents really are. Faith or fake, they know. Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, with all your might, all your strength. Kids, the next generation, instinctively know what the parents love. Kids know that dad loves his newspaper and mother loves talking to the neighbor across the wall. They know it. They know it. They know. And these things cannot be hidden from the children because they are watching, they are seeing. You cannot hide it from them because we live before them day and night. A generation is watching the other generation. We cannot hide our priorities from our children. They know it very well. They know it very well. That is why the command was given to the parents, to the father, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Okay, this is told. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. The first thing he says, these words which I am telling you shall not be in your mind. Though you should memorize it. It's good to memorize, you should memorize. Or carry a copy of the Bible with you, or an app, whatever. But it should be in your heart. What you carry in the mind is the word. What you carry in the heart is the person. You can carry the word without the person. So first he says, carry it in your heart. Okay? Carry it in your heart. Why? Because these are the words of a person. Okay? The Bible should be a personal book. Written to you by a person. It's not a textbook. It's not a textbook. Why? Look at verse 5. And we will come back. Only verse 5, then, yeah, same thing, 6 and verse 5. No, you went to judge this. 
Yeah, yeah, six five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He's not saying first memorize scripture. He says first love God. Okay. He says love God with all your heart. Okay. Love God. Love God. And we will say, but how do I love God? The way you love something else. What is that love you most? What is that love you, you love most? Everybody knows in their life what priorities are. How do you know? It comes first in your mind. Second, it takes most of your time. It's time. It's as simple as that. If you could choose to do that, God says you can choose to do this too. It can just change. In just a matter of time, your priorities will change. Everything will change. Your emotions will change. Your time also will change. Everything will change. It's simply a question of not that way you're born with certain things. No, these are all choices made. In the same way, through choices, because God gave you a will, if you could not choice, he will not say you choose. How can you say love God with all your heart if you cannot love God with all your heart? Because there is a will. There is a will, right? How do we love stuff? We all love stuff. We all like certain things. But how did it come? We chose. We chose. And God says you can choose. We can choose. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 15. What Jesus says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, if you keep my commandments, that doesn't mean you love me. Okay, you're just following a rule book. And rule books can always be manipulated and you can come back and say, I kept the rules. But you had five guys with a basketball on their back and then there was one ball running around. So you kept the rule. But you didn't know the person. You didn't know the person. So God is not saying, if you keep my commandments, you love me. He says, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Deuteronomy 6, the old covenant pattern never changes. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And then, what does he say in verse 6? Yes. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Right? When you love somebody, when you love somebody, what happens is, you remember the words what that person has said. That's one of the reasons wives fight about you forgot my birthday and my anniversary is not connected with the birthday and the anniversary. It is connected with the person. You didn't remember me. You didn't remember me. It's not connected with the birthdays of day only. That is not the issue. The issue is not with the birthday or the anniversary or any of those things. They are saying all year you neglect me. And this day also you forgot. This day also you forgot. Okay? And that's what God is saying. All year you forgot me. Now when Easter comes, everybody will come. Anniversary. <laughs> What you should do in mainland churches is on the day of Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday and all, you should take half the chairs from the church. Not put the pandal outside. That's what God is talking about here. Right? These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
you shall teach them diligently to your children the first thing how do you teach them to your children because it is in your heart and you love god with all your heart you're living it out the children looks at it and says daddy loves god daddy loves god mommy loves god they love god okay they love god and you they see it not in terms of rule books they see it in terms of principles this is the life of christ jesus they see it in principles okay the way they converse the kindness in the home the time the parents especially when children are small the time you spend with them because they long for parents they long for parents if you ask any mother especially housewife mothers who does the child love more they'll always say the father you know why because he's absent what does it mean the child is missing the missing one but if both parents are together there you will see they love them both they don't miss either but if one parent is missing the child is always waiting for that one always waiting for that one and it just emotions but later as they grow up it will change they will love the one who was always present and consistent in their life and slowly forget the missing person understand how it that's how it works that's how it works because when you are small it's all emotions you want the presence just thing and the person presence is missing Okay, and you look at the other one who's always saying, "Say, don't do, don't do." Sounds like the lawmaker, no, the lawgiver. But later, okay, yeah, later when they grow up, they will realize, you know what? This was the one that was there. This was the one that was absent. Okay, so God says, "You shall teach them diligently to your children, to the next generation. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house." Now, this is not quoting Torah. talking about god talking about god your testimonies your testimonies of you know you talk to your children about your testimonies how god brought you through you have to share these things with especially with finances as one of the things which i always used to talk to my children never fear about finances every month i would tell them watch and see how it will come through they also used to get excited watch and see how this month will come through watch and see how it will come through because that's our biggest issue right if you have money 90% of the problems in the world is over that is the biggest thing and i said watch and see watch and see watch and they used to get very excited watch and see watch and see it will work watch and see how god will do it watch and see watch and see you know and that's what they were supposed to do see this is what god did this is what god did this is what god did that's what the scripture says they did not know him they did not know his works instead if all we do is post the 10 commandments in the child's bedroom and says memorize this and then in the other side of the wall is multiplication tables memorize that they look there they look there they look there they look this two rules doesn't work like that that's not what god is talking about doesn't work like that he said you shall talk to them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up you see how you mentor a next generation this is how you mentor the next generation it is about god and god is part of your life 
God is part of your life. You know? If I look at my life before I came to the Lord, almost everything that I learned, I learned from my father. And everything that I ate, I ate from my mother. I learned to play chess from my father. I learned to play football from my father. I learned to play badminton from my father. Guns from my father. All crazy. How to read from my father. Everything. Everything. All within 11 years. After that, I never saw him. For a couple of weeks, a year. Because I was far away from him. Okay. Everything. He was there. He was there. Sometimes he was more excited about playing and woke me up in the morning and said, come, let's go. There's no wind there. Let's play back five in the morning in that mountain. Get up and come. And I, how I learned to play cards. He taught me. Still today, there are a couple of games which I haven't played for years and years and years and years and years and years. I still remember because he taught me. So you need to realize, we know that. And that's what God is telling about. When you sit down, when you walk on the way, everywhere. Everywhere, he says. Everywhere. And that's what God is talking about. You cannot, you cannot love a person who is not real. Who is not real. You know? See, when I was, funny example, but when I used to be growing up, I read all these books. And I fell in love with all the characters. It usually lasted two days. Because they are characters. <laughs> they are just characters. You are caught up in the emotions of the moment, reading this thing and all. You fall in love with all these characters. Two days later, you don't remember who they are. It was just a story. Okay, God is not a story. God is not a story. We don't tell our children Bible stories. We tell our children about the God of the Bible. And he's not a story. He's a real person. But if the person is not real to you and to me, then it's just a story for them because they will see it's just a story for us. It's a story for us. It's not a real person. That's what God is talking about. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. You search the scriptures, for in thing, in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He says you are searching for salvation and not for the Savior. You are searching for salvation. You are not looking for the Savior. If you are looking for the Savior, you would have found him in the Bible. The person who can save you. You're looking for some methods to get out of trouble. That's all you're looking for. You're not looking for the person. Young man comes, falls on his knees. Lord, tell me how I can inherit eternal life. Jesus said, eternal life? He said, do, do, do. He said, I have done it. Jesus looked at him. He loved him. He says, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and follow me. What is he calling? This guy was asking for salvation. Jesus was pointing to the Savior. And he refused to follow the Savior. And he went back and continued with his law. And that's what God is talking about. We search for salvation, but not the Savior. Tease them diligently, verse 7 says. 
teach them diligently. Let it permeate into your life. Let it not be a religion. Let it be the knowledge of God. You don't have to, you don't have to, with children, you don't have to go all scripture. You can talk to them, your personal witness and your testimony, how you met God and how you led you through. When you are teaching them a portion of the Bible, you can bring your personal testimony because you know what? That's part of their history because they are part of you. It's part of their collective history. What has happened in the U.S. is now, if you look at the nation, they have forgotten their history. They're going against their history and want to reset and change their entire history because they do not want to accept the nation was founded on God. And the forefathers had come looking for a place to worship God in liberty. They don't want that. You forget your history. And the question is, we need to ask ourselves, do we have a personal history with God? A history of God in our lives. Are we able to pass it on? Children will struggle. All that is okay. Teenage and all, they will struggle. But they will not forget their history. They will remember the God of their fathers. Okay. That's why God comes and tells Isaac, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. How would you know the God of Abraham if Abraham had not told him who his God was? God of Abraham? Who is that? I don't know him. But he knew his father's. God, because he had seen in his father's life. And then when to Jacob he comes and says, I'm the God of your father Isaac. And to Israel he always says, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay, That is how we pass it down to the next generation. Next generation. We witness to them. This is my life. This is the person I love. It's not a scripture. Because scripture without God has no power. God with scripture. Because what is scripture? We say it. We forget it. It is the word of God. What he has spoken. About whom? About himself. It is not a way of living. It is about a person. The person. That is why Peter says, to whom else can we go? You alone have the words of life. You know? I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, choose. Choose life. And then God says, God, I am your life. I am your life. And that's what God is talking about. Teach them diligently. Otherwise we'll end up with religion. And not the knowledge of God or his works. Our God is not a natural God, okay? Be very, very careful. Our God is not a natural God. Our God is... Our God is supernatural. You know what is different? All the other pagan religions have natural gods. They have a god for rain. They got a god for lightning. They got a god for thunder. They got a god for fire. They're all natural gods. That's why when Nehemiah and all pray, they pray to the God of heaven. Okay? Don't make our God into like other gods. Don't. Our God is supernatural. It's above nature. Above nature. Meaning, we know natural ways of doing things. But we have to teach God as things in supernatural ways. Supernatural ways. And the children have to get it. They have to see it. 
That is where faith comes in. Faith always taps into the supernatural, not into the natural. If it is natural, you need sight. If it is supernatural, you need faith. And our children have to grow up saying that, you know what, our fathers, the previous generation, served a God by faith, meaning a supernatural God. A supernatural God. And they have to believe it. And we have to pass it on to them. And they have to see. They have to see. When trouble comes, they don't see anxiety. They see strength. When worry comes, you are not in despair. <laughs> you know God will make a way. He will make a way. And how will this? Because he has made ways in the past. You know, I was in a tougher situation than this. And you know what? God came through. God came through. God came through. You pass it on. And you know what they realize? They go up with. That's what Paul is talking about, Timothy. The faith that was in your grandmother and your mother passed on. You didn't take the unbelief of your father. You have the faith of your mother. That this God is real. A living God. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. What is it talking about? Eyes and hand. Eye and hand coordination. Okay. They see it before their eyes. It's the life. See it before their life. You know. I still remember uh, testimonies and leave me out of the picture. I still remember one of the pastors I knew. He came from a single home. Dad had left. Grew up in a, the mother brought them up. And he still says, I remember those days. There were some, there were tough days, he said. And he says, I still remember one day when we sat down to eat, there was no food. But mom said, let us sit down and bow our head and thank God for the provision. They said, as soon as we finished saying, thank God, there was a knock on the door and somebody whom they knew had brought them food saying, the Lord put on my heart to bring you your dinner. And he says, I grew up seeing that. And then he became a pastor. He says, he says why did you become a pastor? Because I saw my mother's God was real. My mother's God was real. I saw him coming through, hearing the cry. And mother was always cheerful through it all. No, that's what he was talking about. The eye and the hand. No, the eye and the hand. No? Let me ask you this question. If you go with me to Genesis chapter 39. 39. Verse 3. And his, and his master saw the Lord was with him. How did he, how did he know his Lord was with him? Did he see something like a ghost-like figure walking around with Joseph? No. The master saw the Lord was with him. Okay. So the question is, do our children see that God is with us? God is with us? Do the children see that God is with us? Phone rings. Whoever it is, tell daddy is not here. Immediately they see God is not with you. Hmm? Hmm? Okay. So what should you say? You should say, Tell them that he is busy. That he is busy. 
you cannot take a call now. Okay? They have to see. And daddy better be busy. Hmm. Better be busy. Otherwise the children, this is lots of interesting illustrations. Like, you no, know, the pastor was visiting this lady and she said, honey, to call her little child, honey, go and bring mommy's favorite book. The child came running with the shopping catalog. She was trying to show off to the pastor, the child would come with the Bible. And so she came with the shopping map, because that is what the mother is forever looking through. Children know, which is your favorite book. Children know which is your favorite movie. Children know which is your favorite song. You can't fool them. If you sing only at church and you're singing other songs at home, if you ask a child which is your father's favorite song, he will immediately tell you which movie song it is. You can't fool them. They know. That is what God was talking about. He says, you know what? You be authentic in this. You be authentic in this. And you know what? You will have to teach them very little. That's why Paul tells his disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. He says, come and sit down here. Let me teach you. He did that too. But what's the sound of harping on? He says, you know what? And that's what God has told. If you want to save the next generation, he says, you, we, our generation needs to tell them, you know what? I really love my God. I really enjoy my God. I really enjoy walking with my God. And he's not a bore. He's really interesting. And you know what? All I want to know him is better and better and better. And that's what the word of God says. You know? Your eyes and your hand. What I see and what I do. Is God there? How do you do things? Is God there? Is God there? His master saw the Lord was with him. And it's a Gentile guy. No? Gentile guy. No? One of our kids, I'm not mentioning, one of our kids, young kids in our church, came excited last week and said, this week, Papa, Papa, I have a testimony. I said, what? I'm the only Christian among 70 kids in the class. He said, yes. And I had a friend, a Muslim friend, who came to me and said, you know what? You are different in this class. Why are you different? You're always radiant. Why is it? And I said, Papu, I got a chance to witness. I told her it's because Jesus is in me. Okay. I get excited when little people come and tell you, you know. Because it reminds me when I got saved, two days, three days later, my friends looked and said, what happened to you? What happened to you? I said, what happened to me? They said, your language has changed. Your language has changed. You don't speak like before. And I didn't even know my language had changed. I didn't even know my Bible. (laughs) I just started reading Good News Bible after I got saved. I didn't even know my Bible. You know? And that's what God is talking about. And from there, it's just the beginning. You know? And that's what God is talking about. Your eye and your hand. You know, so we need to realize it is about relationship. And relationship is always based on priorities. Priorities. You know, 
especially wives come not to complain <laughs> the counseling they will always say this this thing no i want that place in my husband's life one child even used that that um, i want that sacred place not god's place but that sacred place in my husband's life I don't want that place to be taken by anybody else. That sacred place. You see, everybody understands this in relationships. Okay, understands. That's all God was saying. I brought you out. I saved you. I did all this. I gave you this land. I fought for you. I went before you. I sent hornets before you. Okay, that's the interesting thing. See, as when I read the book from of Joshua, except for those thirty-six people who died, there's no record of deaths in the book of Joshua. Imagine if it's actually factually true, except because of the sin of Achan and thirty-six people died. Nobody died in the entire battle, and they took over a land. No casualties. And I believe, no casualties. You have everybody has been promised. You will get your plot of land, and I will give it to you. Nobody died. You look at the miracles of God. The fathers could say, you know what? We fought. We fought. We were very small. They were very big. You know what? Nobody died. God was fighting for us. 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 Okay, God is a God of miracles. supernatural okay this is the how he worked and then they see it in your life i and hand they realize the priorities are clear they realize time is real because relationship is basically connected with time and they see that god spends my father my mother spends time with god and that is a sacred time in relationships also the usual complaint is that doesn't spend time you cannot mentor a next generation unless you spend time with them you cannot you cannot you cannot cleave to your spouse unless you cleave to this spouse cleaving takes time it's not going to work otherwise if you want to mentor a generation up you will have to, and you will have to spend time at 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 their level and the simple thing is that when you are with a child you should become a child after some time you will not realize who is enjoying it more you or them the child in you should come out it's not dead it is there i'm not saying you should be childish no you should enjoy those times why because you want to have a lot of fun time with god Jesus was not working. He called them separately to Himself. Separated them. Spend time with me, and then we go out. No, look at all those things, and you realize it's a question of priority. It's a question of time. It's a question of works, because God is working. It should reflect in our works. It's a question of thoughts, because God says the thoughts that I have towards you cannot be. and that's one of the most wonderful things about today because today unlike old days when you went to work 
early in the morning. You came back in the evening. That's it. But today you have a gadget. But the question is, though you have a gadget, how many people actually use it to connect with the people they love? Silence. Not a text. Not a call. Not a prayer. God says pray three times. You can pray with your spouse three times. The phone is there. You don't have to go home. You can. Lunch break is there in your companies. It's there. Then what are you telling? You are telling. Imagine. Your wife is at home. Three children are there or four children are there. Doesn't matter how many. And at 1.50, 1 to 1.30 is your lunch break. And every day at 1.10, 1.50, you call. The child knows. Daddy is calling mommy to pray. And all your colleagues also know. You see? Child knows. Child knows. Child doesn't have to be taught. Child knows. This was what God was telling the children, the fathers. You know what? When you walk with them, when you talk to them, when you live among them, they should know that I'm real for you. Real for you. Otherwise, what will happen? It is just a rule book. And they hate rule books. I got a giant in my house. Okay, all said and done. He's a giant. Okay? When you are small... He struggles. All teenagers struggle. It's got to do with the world. And why do they struggle? Because they have the word in them. That's why they struggle. If there's no word in them, there's no struggle. When you are small, every day, put them to sleep, pray it over them, kiss them and put them to sleep. Now I go to sleep early. Because I wake up early. And every night he comes and kisses me on the top of my head and he goes to his room. When you are small, he hugs me. Kisses me and no, I wait for it. I understand his struggles. Okay, understand his struggles. I'm there with you for your struggles. The fact of the matter is that you know what? What you have learned is going to make you miserable. To make you miserable. You know why? Because like we keep saying, husband and wife were driving. They've been married for 25 years. And the wife is looking at him and saying, Honey, when we were married and when all those first years and all, no, you used to put your arm around me. I used to snuggle even though you were driving. And he said, Yeah, I'm still at the same place. Who moved? Who moved? Okay. Simple thing is that who moved? God is still at the same place. God has not moved. Remember the yesterday's one? I will never break my covenant. Remember? Judges 2 verse 3. I will never break my covenant. Who moved? He didn't move. We did. Right? He didn't move. We did. I swore I will never break my covenant with you. That's what God is talking about. God says, can I depend, depend upon you for three days in a row to come and speak to me? At least roughly around the same time. And think about the wife, the husband, the children. Because ultimately love your God with all your heart, all your mind and equal commandment, he said, almost equal. Like the other one, 
because it's about relationships. That's what the children see. And when the children see, they'll see it is real. It is real. But what happens? They forsook God. And the Bible says, God forsook them. You know where it happened? It happened at the relationship level. See, you can carry the commandment in your head and forsake the person who gave it. The Pharisees had all the commandments. They had the frontlets and the backlets and the sidelets, all the lets they had. But they had forsaken him. Not, and when finally he came, they wanted to kill him many times. And last time they succeeded. They nailed him to the cross. But they had rejected him long time ago. The person. So if you look into the word of God, there's only one way back. There are not two ways back. There's only one way back. The way back to God is only one way back. It's a way back. Come back to God with all your heart. God is not impressed by anything else. Even to the really impressive church called the Church of Ephesus, he says, come back. How should I come back? Come back the way. Do the things which you did first. Okay? Do the things which you did first. So when we counsel couples, we say, you want to save your marriage? Do the things which you did first. What did you do? You gave her and him all the attention they wanted. The time they demanded, you gave it to them. And if you look at those days, those days, they didn't ask for expensive gifts. A bar of chocolate would do. Today you won't give them time, you give them expensive gifts. They, don't, they still don't want expensive gifts. They still want your time. That's why God says, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your time. I want your life. Life is equal to time. I don't want your sacrifice. Because I did not give a sacrifice. I gave my life. Okay. So there's only one way back to God. And one way back in restoring relationships. There's no two ways back. Let's look at David's final command to his son. NIV version we shall look at. First Chronicles 22.19. I hope my NIV Bible gateway and your open song is the same. Chronicles 22 and verse 19 in NIV. You look at, in, you will use NIV for the next few verses. Yes. Now devote. That's when we get a devotee. Devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. We know what devote means. Everybody knows. He's devoted to sports. <laughs> no? Ma, when she prays, you'll know. They eat and drink the word. No, we talk about no. That's how they say they sleep cricket, they dream cricket, they eat cricket, they drink cricket. You know, he's a devoted. What is David telling his son before he dies? Devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord. He says, he doesn't say begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't start building your life. Don't start building the temple of God. First, devote yourself. 
your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. I want to know you. Why did God build his kingdom? The foundation stone was laid by Jesus. But the kingdom over it was built by Apostle Paul. Why? Because he said, one thing I seek, I want to know him. He devoted his heart and soul in seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? God built the sanctuary on him. He was a Solomon of the new covenant. The literal temple was built on him. Take the apostles' epistles out. What do we have left? What do we have left? How do we build the church? Where do we get doctrine from? What do we have left? No. Hebrews, only Hebrews will understand. To understand Hebrews, you need Romans. No. Yeah. If you don't understand Romans, you don't understand James. You will go into religion of works. It is balanced only by Paul. You understand it all together. You know why? Because he devoted his heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. That's all. And that's what we tell. You want to save your marriage? Just devote. And they don't ask for much time. One of the simple things I tell is that, you know, your wives don't want you to help in the kitchen. Some do, but most don't. They just want your presence there. Just go make a little noise here and there. And they, and they are very happy. They actually will tell, don't mess up my kitchen. Because I, you will give me extra work. But the very fact you are there, because everybody in the kitchen is not me. I am not boasting. I, I like the kitchen. Till last night I washed dishes, because I like washing dishes. And I don't even think it as a chore. I like it. Because it's something it gives to me when I, you know, I'm tell, just put it over there. Everybody, Ma, Andrew, Siri, everybody keep it over there. Don't you dare wash it. Don't you wash it. It gives me a nice, this thing of the way of doing it. I know you have heard it so many times, okay? But that's the only time I'm in the house. In the morning before I go, whatever I can do, I finish it. Evening come, come, what is all left? Washing the dishes, locking the gate, closing up everything, and that's it. My job is done. The rest of the time I am here, working in the office. But the fact is that, you know what? Devote yourself to God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. You know, And you, those who have small children, you know, before they go asleep, fall asleep, you know, go sit with them, tell them a story, okay, or play with them. You know, tell them a story, hug them. Children should be hugged a thousand times a day also. It's too little. Okay. They should be hugged always. Children should know that always. That's why we have taught the first beginning. When you discipline a child, only use a stick. Never use your hands. Okay. The stick for disciplining, the hands are only for loving. You know. That's why God uses a rod of discipline. He never spanked anybody with his hands. Rod of discipline. And that's what God is talking about here. You know, you all have to come back. There's no other way. Devote your heart and soul. Set your heart. The problem is we have forgotten the meaning of devotion. We have daily devotions without knowing what devotion meant in the Bible. Leviticus 27, 21 and stick to NIV. 27, 21 and 28. When the field is released in the Jubilee, it will become holy. Like a field devoted to the Lord. It will become the property of the priests. Okay, you know what God is saying? God is saying to be devoted means one thing. You become holy. Second, you belong to God. 
That's what devoted means. And the question we need to ask is that, does my devotion make me holy? Does my devotion make me holy? Does my devotion show who owns me? Who owns me? Because I'm putting in two, two, two ways. One with God, one with man. When you're talking about man, you're talking about your spouse and the children, the next generation. Do they think they own your time? Not all the time. They own their time. They can depend upon you for this time. You will give them that time. It's yours. I'm not distracted and I'm not disturbed. I am not disturbed. I'm not disturbed. You're not intruding into my time. You are actually making it more joyful when you come in. That time is set apart for you. With God and with man. That's what God is talking about. That is devotion. When the field is released in the Jubilee, it will become holy. Like a field devoted to the Lord. Look at verse 28. The same concept. Nothing but nothing that a man owns and devotes to the Lord, whether man, animal or family or land may be sold or redeemed. Everything so devoted is most holy to the Lord. What does it say? What you devote to God and what you devote to man in the light of the two commandments. It can never be redeemed. It cannot be sold. You will not give it to another. And if you give it to another, you will tell, honey, you know what? I will be late. Oh, little one, you know what? I know this is your time, daddy's time with you. But there's an emergency. And you know what? And I finish that. If you haven't fallen asleep, I'm coming back to you. Okay. That's what God is talking about. Okay. God is talking about fundamentals. Because the Bible is only about, life is only about relationship. It is not about anything else. It's about relationship. And God says, are you devoted? This is what devotion is. It is, belongs to God and it is holy unto God. And the question is, what are we devoted to? Look at Luke 16 and verse 13, NIV. No servant can serve two masters. Either will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's not possible. Either you will be devoted or despised. You cannot serve both. It is not possible. There's only one way to come back. And God says that's the way to come back. That's how the steps of restoration. You know what? After Once you understand the principle and you start obeying it, initially it may be difficult because your flesh is fighting it because your flesh like the other way. But it will turn back. You know what? After some time you start enjoying it. You know why? Because God starts releasing something into it. He will release his power into it because what you are doing is right. When you're doing something, it is wrong. The devil releases his pleasure into it. But that is bondage. If there is no pleasure, people will not do it. So in both sides, there is pleasure. But this is something, pleasure and peace without conflict. Here there is pleasure, no peace and always conflict. Because whatever a person takes is devoted to will take up most of his life. So be devoted to the right things. Look at Ezra 7.10. We'll continue in Ivy, okay? 7.10. Ezra 7 and verse 10. Ezra 7 and verse 10. 
So Ezra had devoted himself to study, observance of the law, and to the teaching its decrees and the laws in Israel. Every teacher of the word of God should be devoted to this, to, to studying the word of God. He should be devoted. If you are a teacher of the word of God, you should be devoted to this. Ezra was devoted to it. He was not casual about his study. Should not be depending upon whatever God has called you to do. If that is your profession, you should be devoted to your profession. Today, nobody is devoted to profession because nobody knows what profession they are in. Every six months, they change. They don't have a profession. They study one thing and do something else. Okay. But that's okay. I'm not fine. But deep in your mind, you need to realize, you know what? I am devoted to this. Because you know what? That is what God has called me to do. And I am devoted to this. You know what devotion does? Devotion keeps on equipping yourself. You don't remain stagnant in any field you have called. You have to keep on studying it. You know why? Because you are devoted to it. And I'm just not talking about the word of God. I'm just not talking to the word of God. I'm talking about anything that you are doing. You are devoted to it. So you want to be the best you can be. Not better than somebody else. That's not the point. You want to be the best you can be. So Ezra was devoted to. That takes his life. That takes his time. Nehemiah chapter 5 verses 14 to 16. Another man. Moreover, from the 20th. Uh, five, yeah. Twentieth year of King Aswena was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah until his thirty-second year, twelve years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people, took forty shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. He knew he's got a set time. He's got favor with God. He's gone for a particular task. What is that? To build the wall. You know what? He was devoted to the building of the wall and he did not want anything from the governor. And second thing, we did not acquire any land. Absolutely. I know I'm here for a season and I have to go back. I'm not going to settle settle here. I cannot settle here. But I have a work here. Work here. I've got to finish. He was devoted to his work. Ezra was devoted to the study of the word of God. Nehemiah was devoted to the work that God had commissioned to him. But poor Solomon. Ecclesiastic 1.13 I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it became a burden. He became secular. His heart changed from God, from heaven, to what is below heaven. And he devoted himself into that. And finally, in First Kings chapter 11, not finally for today, but finally with Solomon, Kings 11 and verse 4. Solomon grew old and his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to God. The Lord is Lord. That's what happens. That's the heart of his David, his father had been. So God says you have to come back. When you come back, when you when your devotion is right in the right places, everything will fall into place. When your devotion is right with God, devotion is right with your family, devotion is right with your study, 
right with your work, everything. You'll realize you don't need 25 hours a day. 24 is enough. More than God did not make a mistake. God did not make a mistake. 24 is more than enough. In 24 hours, you can do it all. You know why? Because your heart is in the right place. You're devoted to these things. Your priorities are very, very clear. That's the only way. Otherwise, what will happen? You will go out and God will hand you over to the raiders. The raiders will come and take everything. First, what does he steal? The raider steals. He steals your time. Because what is the usual answer? There is no time. I have no time. Time is not enough. It's not classroom. This is life. People have no time. Or they waste time. But when you are devoted to what God is devoted, you realize there is sufficient time. And let's look at the man. Psalm 86. Can I have NLT? You have NLT there? Psalm 86 and verse 2. <clears throat> 86 and verse 2. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Who is this? David. He's not devoted to the study of the word of God. Though he is, he's not devoted to building walls or work. He's devoted to God and out of that comes everything. That's why God says this man was different. This man was different. Now look at the same translation in NKJV or KJV. It's interesting. For I am devoted to you. For I am holy. Did you see how the two things come? Devoted is holy. You cannot be holy without being devoted. And if you are devoted, you become holy. I like the translation different. In other places it says, holy in this is devoted. And both are true. David says, I'm devoted to you. Other verses he says, I'm holy to you. I'm set apart for you. NIV. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Are you a child of God? The child of God. How do you, how do you attach yourself to the teaching? The apostolic teaching, the word of God. How do you attach yourself to that? Are you casual? Are you devoted? They were devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Devoted. They gave their full heart. Meaning if you, they come to church and it's a three hour service, it was never a three hour service, much longer. You can be very sure nothing is going to distract them. They are there. They are not distracted by anything that happens over there or what is happening at home or happening. They are devoted to that time, to that teaching. Their heart is set. You know why? Because they are devoted to God. Therefore, they are devoted to the teaching of God. You know why people struggle with teaching? Because they are not devoted to the person about whom the teaching is. Teaching is. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. Yeah, yeah. Until I come. Now this is to the teacher. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Not just casually. Devote. Devote yourself. You may preach only for 50 minutes or one hour, one and a half hours. But devote yourself. Devote yourself to it. Give your time and your effort before and while you are doing it. Devote yourself to this. See, the Bible does not expect anything casual. It asks you to bring your heart and your soul into anything that you do. So whatever you do, be very careful that what you do is right according to God's heart and his mind. Bring it into it, says. 
And you know what? Things will start falling into place. There will be peace in the church. There will be peace in your life. There will be peace in the homes. There will be joy in the homes. You know why? Because they know. It's built according to God's word. And he will never break his covenant. And he starts keeping his part of the covenant. It starts falling into place. Colossians 4 and verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer. Not to be casual in your prayer life. Devote yourself in prayer. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. They were not casual about it. They devoted. See, we have to come back. We have to bring devotion to this. What do we do? And suddenly we realize, you know what? Things start falling into place. A lot of people, honestly, I'm telling you, people have, do not have peace, they do not have time, and everything is scattered. It's simply because they don't bring their heart into all these things. You cannot bring your heart into only one thing. You have to bring your heart into all. First, you have to put your heart on God, and the rest will fall into place. Everything will fall into place. It is not God alone. Then God would have taken you the day you got saved. He left you behind because he wants that to come into your life. Romans 12 and verse 10. Twelve and verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. That is where fellowship comes. They devoted themselves in fellowship. Be devoted one another. So you're not asking for casual. It's asking for to be devoted. Good times and bad times, especially bad times. Everybody is, you know, masses. When she prays, you know, David is here. David is PJ's best friend. You know why? Because in my worst times of my life, he was always there, quietly. He was always there. When I had nobody, he was always there. Very quietly. Until today, he's still there. He's always been there. Though I casually met him. Just casually met him. And found he was a believer. I was a pastor. That's how we met him. You know, devoted. You know, and this is what he's talking about. Can your friends count on you? I got your back. I got your back. I'm not going to hear any junk about you whether it is true or false. And even if it is true, I will come back and I will face you face to face. But my loyalty is it's there. That's why God will never break his covenant with us. He's fiercely loyal about us. Fiercely loyal about us. Devoted. You need to ask ourselves, are we devoted? One more, two more devotions. Titus 3.8 and 3.14. Got it? This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. 
devote yourself in doing things that are good. Devote yourself. Commit yourself. These are the works which he prepared for us even before the creation of the world. Devote yourself to that. Verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Okay. These things are important. If you go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we looked at three in that. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer. We looked at three, devoted to that. And we looked at devoted to one another, that is fellowship, devoted to doing good, that is serving your neighbor, and devoted to the breaking of bread. Why devoted to the breaking of bread? Let's look at that. First Corinthians chapter 11, 28 to 30, 28 to 32. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. What is communion? Tomorrow is communion Sunday. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick. A number of you have fallen asleep. If we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. What is the Bible talking about? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the judging of self. Am I devoted to God? Am I devoted to my family? Am I devoted to my neighbor? Am I devoted in doing good? Am I devoted? They judge themselves. Constantly judge themselves. Therefore, you know what happened? They were not judged by God. But if they did not judge themselves... What happened? The raiders came. Many of you are weak. Many of you are sick. Many of you are asleep in the Lord. You know why the raiders came in? Because they did not devote themselves. We have to devote ourselves in the judging. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Israel was never condemned. Israel was always disciplined. Why? Because they did not judge themselves. Now go back to Judges chapter 2 and verses 13 to 15. Because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterites, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. What is he doing? He's judging them. Because they did not judge themselves. The chastening of the Lord. He's chastening. In their distress. Solution, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hands of their raiders. Judges. What does it mean to us? Start judging yourself. The raiders will stop. The enemy will stop at the gates. He cannot. You see, the book of Judges is life. He raised up judges. What do judges do? Judges judge. He says, you are the judge. And my word is there. Judge your own life. Judge your own life. Put it right. These raiders will stop. They will not raid from your joy. They will not raid from your peace of mind. They will not raid and take all these things away. You know, your health. Your alertness, your sobriety, your discernment to see what is happening in the kingdom of God. They will not take all that off. That's what mean to be asleep means if it does not mean dead. You're dead. 
to what is happening in the kingdom of God and as awake in the world. Why? Because the raiders came and took off your sight. Took off your sight. That's what God is saying. He raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And verse 17, interesting. Yet they would not listen to their judges. Yet they would not listen to their judges. He raised up judges who delivered them. After the deliverance was over, they would not listen. The only thing they wanted from the judges was what? Deliverance. Just give a solution to our problem. That's usually what happens during counseling. (laughs) They don't listen to the judges. They don't listen. They just have a problem, give us a solution. When the solution is gone, it's gone. It doesn't work. They did not listen to the judges. So devote yourself to judgment. Look at, as we close the last two verses, 18 and 19. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. As long as the judgments of God lives in us, God can save us. When the judgment dies, we also go down. As long as the judge lived. Jesus said, all judgment has been committed to the son, but I also will not judge. The word that I have given to you will judge you on that day. So we have the judge with us. The judge is here. And the judge is here. It's here. He says, as long as the judge is living, as long as the word of God is living, as long as the Spirit of God is speaking, you will be in the midst of all your storms and all your trials and your testing. What will happen? The Lord will deliver you and save you out of the hands of your enemies. For the Lord had compassion on them. For they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned. To ways even more corrupt than their fathers. When did that happen? When judgment stopped. Judgment stopped. That is why it is written in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. Breaking of the bread. Devoted themselves. How am I with God? How am I with my family? How am I with my neighbor? How am I in my work? How am I in my prayer life? God is looking at all these things. How am I? How am I? How am I? He says, listen, listen, listen. Listen, listen. Are you hearing? Sometimes silence is very loud. Hmm? Wives can be very silent. You know immediately there's something wrong. Okay, Something wrong. Children are very loud. They will cry when they are grieving. But wives can be very silent. And you need to ask, what is wrong? What is wrong? Am I devoted? I remember the world's largest church is in in Korea. I mean, it was still is, I think. It's old now. Paul Yongicho, David Yongicho. When he was young and he was busy man. And miracles and all kind of things happening. But Time came in his life. Young man, married young man. He was, nothing was happening. The Spirit of God was not moving at all. Absolutely nothing was happening. 
Nothing. And he was like stuck like, Lord, what is happening? Lord, why? What should I do? Where did I go wrong? He said, go home. He said, why? He said, your wife is grieving. And if she's grieving, and it's because of you, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. So he went, put things right, put that in order, and immediately this side, the ministry started taking off. God will not do something at the cost of something else. He's an extremely balanced God. Extremely balanced God. He's so balanced that on the cross, he tells John, Take care of my mother, okay? You have to take care of her. That's your duty. Why? Because he knows something which we don't know, where his brothers and sisters will go. So he says, you take care of her, and she, you go there. Take care of Because you know what? We need to take care of our parents. It's our duty. We have left them when we got married, but we did not abandon them. Understand the difference. Understand? We didn't abandon them. Our job is to see they're protected, taken care of, well fed, well taken care of in their old age. And Jesus, in the, on the cross, in pain, is absolutely clear on his priorities. Absolutely clear. Devoted in prayer. Devoted in the work of the Father. Today you shall be. And devoted to his responsibilities, to his last breath. It's teaching us. It's a perfectly balanced life. And we were not, we were unbalanced. <laughs> But God says, come back and be balanced and see how God will work in your life. He says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. And every time they cried, God intervened and gave them judges who brought them. One of the judges, you know, there was peace for 80 years. That is enough. <laughs> 80 years peace. Under one judge. Meaning that generation listened to the judge. 80 years peace. Imagine you can live for 80 years in peace. With enemies all around, you are at peace because you have judged yourself with the judgments of God and you are at peace with God and with man. There's only one way. (laughs) You have to come back God's way. The book of Judges is an incredible record. Incredible record of how we learn the ways of God. And in that ancient paths, in that ways of God, there is still security, there is still strength, and still there is peace. God is not telling us to leave one for the sake of other. He says there is a balance. And the balance comes first by loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. And he's not a joy killer. He puts everything into place because he created all these things. Everything that we see was created by him. So he says, but put me, put the creator first, the creation will fall into place. You put creation first, you'll be always miserable. If you're a child of God, put the creator first and everything that was created will fall into place. And you know your order. And God says, that is the only way restoration will take place. So when we preach to America, we tell them, you are the only Christian nation <laughs> left in the world. There are no Christian nations left. You want to come back? You have to come back the right way. What is that? You say, in God we trust. Put that God first. It will be a, it will be a battle it's not going to be easy, but put your hand on the plow and say, Lord, what I can do, what we can do to bring God first in not America, make America first, but God, make God first in America. 
Let's not make America first. Slogan of the church should be, make God first in America. You know what? It will start falling into place. It will all start falling into place. For a nation, for an individual, or for a home, for a church. He should have preeminence in all things. You will see. It will fall into place. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Your lessons are better learned late in life than never learned. It's never late, Lord, to learn the lessons of life. Your life. This is your life that you want to live through us. And you are devoted to these things we discussed today, Lord. Help us to get our priorities right. Let the generation rise who know their God, who will always remember his works in every nation. A leadership rise who know their God and knows his works, who are devoted to him with all their heart, with all their mind, with their all their soul. And their entire purpose is to build the temple of God and to bring his presence there, the fullness of his presence. To that end, Lord, we commit ourselves, Lord. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for teaching us. Thanking Thanking you, Lord, for revealing your ways, even though we are stubborn in so many ways, stubborn in our ways. You are still kind and merciful as you were to Israel in the midst of their enemies. When they groaned, you raised judges. When people groan under their own weight of their oppression, you give them a word and tell them, come back, do this. I'll put it all back together again. Raiders won't raid you. Your enemies won't oppress you. They will not win over you. I, the God, thy Lord, will go with you and I will give you victory. And I will take you in triumph in Christ Jesus in every place, in every time. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Your promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. Help us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.